Welcome back to The Francisca Show, a Jewish coffeehouse podcast. The show on which everyday creatives share their unique journeys. I am Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, podcast coach, and also your host. Enjoy the show. So welcome back to The Francisca Show. Today with us we have Kaylee Halperin, musician, social entrepreneur, and mother. She is living in Israel. I'm so excited to be having Kaylee on the show. So welcome, Kaylee. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So it's really great to have you on. I think we don't have so many representatives of the Israel scene. So I'm really excited to have you on to give us a little bit of an insight. I know you serve also as a bridge a little bit between the older music and the newer music. This is what Annie Ornstein (laughs) uh, gave me these words to use, and I love it. And we're definitely going to go into that. So thank you so much for coming onto the show. And we'll start just like we start every other episode. Tell us how you got started in music. What was your upbringing like? What was your musical training like? So I'll start with my mother, who is self-pronounced off-key singer. But the story that she tells is that she was like at a recital at one of her friend's kids, and he was like six, and he was playing the piano so beautifully. She said, she asked her friend, how did he get so talented? And she said, well, I sing to him all the time, and I'm a terrible singer. But that's the way I I, uh, bring it into the house. My mother would uh, sing to us all the time until we asked her to stop. And later years, I asked her to start again uh, on one one side. I have my mother doing that. And since I was three and she would write down the songs that I would like make up. And and my father, who had a lava shalom, who passed away, had a beautiful voice and my grandmother, his mother, was a, was a singer herself, mostly for her community. So I had that both in the house, also, um, you know, the music gene and also the space to be playful and find my voice. So your parents are from the States, right? Right. And I'm sorry about the passing of your father. Can you tell me a little bit about what your grandmother's stage was like? What was her musical space? Well, she from the stories, um, I met her when she was already um, not entirely with us. She was suffering for dementia. But what she would do in her like her last few years would um, the things that would light up her face was to sing like old American and Yiddish songs. Oh, so she didn't professionally sing on a stage. She did in like community settings. She was like the Jewish community around her or she would she would do like different kind of um, fundraising things. And that's how um, that would be her stage. From what I understand from my aunt, there was always like a little sore spot that she really couldn't do it more professionally. But they do remember their house, like her, her mother always doing scales. And that was a very prominent thing in their home. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. So when did you, did you start taking music lessons or are you self-taught? Um, yeah. So again, like I said, my, my mother was really into supporting as a whole. That's like the, the kind of um, family I grew up to, like whoever you are, we're going to support it. So since like second grade, I started piano lessons. And then in eighth grade, I started guitar. 
Um, both of them were not, I wasn't a very good student. Not that I wasn't musical, just that I didn't like to practice. So at one point that sort of like fizzled out. And then in eighth grade, I guess I got a teacher that wasn't like, I had one meeting with her and she started teaching me a few things. And then she, she gave birth. And when she came back from her maternity leave, I was already like learning from my own on my own. She said, I don't have anything to teach you right now. So I guess it could have gone to the next teacher, but I was happy, like writing my songs and knowing how to play the chords. Later on in, in 10th grade, I started learning voice professionally with uh, who my, my teacher is another musician called Sarah Spielman. So she was my, um, my first voice coach and, um, you should check out her music because I think well we're we're having her on the show it's just taking a little while yeah she's a a very very special person for for me and also like my music identity and uh, my singing so and and then and, and I learned for in a high school in a girls high school for arts so I did my um I studied music theory and history and and voice in that kind of setting. And when I decided to do my degree, it was in um, music education. Okay, so take us now. You have definitely a passion and you see your skill and you see your talent. What would you say your first step into becoming a recording artist is? And just take us a little bit through storytelling. You know, what happened first? How did it flow into the next thing? I, I think I always had that making up songs was just something that I did. Like it was just something that I um, I would feel like I still do. Like I feel a very strong feeling and then like it becomes um, a song usually. A self-soothing mechanism very much. And when I was in high school, I actually started like playing with like very basic recording things on my on my computer and I would record um, CDs for my friends for their birthdays like I have a few of those songs that I probably don't remember how they even sound um, but then I, I sort of I got married and and I had and I had my two older kids and I said like I'm a teacher that's what I am I'm a teacher but it was stronger than me people that I learned with I started playing with them um, playing my songs and it really, and we were playing for a while and it really wasn't going anywhere because I didn't know how to make it go anywhere. So by playing, you mean jamming, sitting down and just... Uh, we, we would actually go to um, a rehearsal studio once a week and we would like work on the songs. We had like one or two shows and it wasn't really... Um, I, I didn't understand what it meant. I didn't know how to make that step from okay, I have songs, we're working on them, we're creating um, the version of a band. Like that, that I, I, like once I heard my songs with a full band, I was just like, <laughs> I was so happy. I didn't know, understand that they're like, okay, what's the next step? What's the next step? And, um, and, then, and then actually my, my father, he was diagnosed with, with uh, stage four cancer. And I sort of had this feeling like, if not now, when? And then I asked Itamala Saftal, who was the producer is the producer of my first album and was playing with us. I said, do you want to produce the album? 
even though he hasn't he didn't produce anything before but i heard i heard the stuff that he did um with his own music and i felt that that's the way i wanted to go that that i think was the the big leap so you went and produced your album i'm assuming you invested quite some money into it and you do your music videos right away or you wait a little bit so um the producer itamar his wife Oshorat, is in film so it was a very connected kind of way project. a project exactly we were sort of we were working on on the first song the first single tashlikh that came out so we were working with the sound and like the visuals together so that it was very very symbiotic as a process uh, the money part of it so um i did a crowdfunding project it of course doesn't cover all the costs but it helped also financially but it also helped me emotionally sort of tell the world now this is who i am what's coming this is who i am and also as accountability now that right. you're in this with me i got to see this to through that right. this is happening this is happening if before it was only in my head now it's out there so did you were you able to hit your goal with your fundraising campaign um yeah 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 i i was it was it was touch and go it was like to the last moment um and my husband he's like i said okay we have all this money should i should i add more money he's like no no it's going to happen it's going to and it really was a lot of people later called me and said like we were so worried <laughs> that you weren't going to get there but the last sort of support was someone who who saw it on social media and said i just really believe in your dream and i said whatever you need i'm going to wow and how it works is they receive an album when it was released anybody there's like there was a different there was a few things that you could choose so some people uh, get like the digital album some people got a hard copy some people um bought a ticket to the the show um of like when the album was released um and there was a few like there was um a voice lessons that i gave there there was a few um different options yeah yeah so you're happy you did that um yeah it was a very it was the right choice for me it it's a lot of work and it's uh, emotion it's it's emotionally trying and it's always like beforehand i i met with a counselor who 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 did a very who did a few successful um crowdfunding uh projects and you, you know you you have everything planned out and you think of all the people that would that said of course we're going to buy your album and some of them support you at the beginning some of them wait for the last minute to support some people don't support at all it's 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 a really um it's a test of faith <laughs> um but i i feel like this the whole journey of being a musician and maybe an artist is is very very connected to faith absolutely well i did not choose this path because i just couldn't do it it was too scary i thought no one would ever contribute why would anyone contribute i don't even like talking about it <laughs> because it's a lot of negative self talk that i used to put myself through maybe now it would be a great idea to do it but i am also against it on other levels for myself because i don't want to be a 
charity case as a singer, even though if you repackage it, I don't think a singer is a charity case. But the way it was hard for me to see music as like a business investment for someone versus I, I couldn't place it. Are you donating for somebody's cancer or are you donating because you want a, a product at the end? So that that classification was very confusing for me. And I think if you stand and you're like, I'm in an innovative product and people are investing because they want to receive that album when it comes out, it's a different perspective. I didn't have that at the time. Anybody who asks me, I have a few friends who later wanted to, to consult and the whole process. You really need to go into it. One on one hand, right? You're not a char you're not a charity, right? Like a hungry child could use this money more than you can. Or maybe you're a hard hungry artist. That's that's another story. But you're not a charity on one hand. So you want the people who um, want to support your art and like your music and like what you did. That's why I also did it after I put out a few singles you know, to have like a feeling of people who already listen to the music want to continue and support this. But on the other hand, it's not bad if somebody wants to give money, not necessarily for the music, but because believes um, in supporting artists. Like it's, it's exercising the ability to receive. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's a lot to think about. And it's an interesting conversation. I know when COVID started, there were these crowdfunding campaigns to help artists through COVID. I could not share <laughs> those links. I said it doesn't stand by what my beliefs are. I think the best way I can support an artist is by empowering them to earn. And if you're earning by selling CDs or selling out shows, great. And that's what you were doing. You were selling voice lessons. You were selling tickets to your show. You were selling digital albums or I don't know why I had such a hard issue with that specifically, but where it's straight up fundraising to give artists money, not for a product, not for a service. I found that to be very hard. I know right now I sort of jumbled them both together, but they're completely separate. The crowdfunding and the donating to artists. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's, it's two different things. And also, um, it's very important to, to remember that in these times, there's people that their job just became obsolete. In the summer, we had here in Israel, we had like a, a short time where I got to perform a few times. And I was up north and I needed, I didn't have my equipment with me. And so I rented something out from someone over there. And he started working on a, in a cable company, but he was like so excited that I came. And I was just like really renting out something really simple, really small. And he opens up his shed with this amazing sound equipment. And he used to do festivals, he used to do sounds like all the time, but he had to start a different job. And when you have, so he did, he took, you know, responsibility of his life and started a different job, but he really, um, the thing he asked when I came back and bring back the equipment, he asked so many questions about how the show was and how the sound was. And, and, and you just saw that he was so happy to be part of that working. Again. Yeah. And what he loves, um, even though it was just a small thing. Okay. So we went off on this tangent, but let's get right back. I'd love to hear about what happens. You, you put out this album 
and then you start booking shows or do you organize them yourself and then stress about filling up the audience or do you have somebody else inviting you to their events how does that work so i i worked in two levels creating the shows was like um it wasn't as the right when the album came out it was also before and that's sort of i i, I learned that i like to produce because that's what i just started doing i started um a, a friend said i have this garden it would be perfect for shows so uh, i asked another friend and we got equipment and we got we had a garden show i had in the synagogue i said let's have an artist evening and we have a lot of artists in um in our area and one of them has like a rooftop that has that has like good sound equipment on it so we just had that kind of like artist evening and it was and then i had a place to perform <laughs> and and then and then i started also trying to book open venues but also offering different uh places um if they want to uh book me like if that financially it's it's usually better um at least an artist my level to to get booked by a place that already has uh the audience and the open shows of where tickets are mostly to cover costs and to sort of feed into people wanting to book you more but without that energy and desire and enjoyment of producing your own shows it's basically impossible to do it because how much work has to go into it and, and as you said you don't even make a profit most of the time right it, you you need a like i i i just really really enjoy it like the, at the end me performing i also like love and love performing but um the the fact that something comes together and i have a tendency to do like things that are don't have to be that big like it could also be more simple but um i enjoy like thinking of big things and making them happen so give me an example of some of the big things so that was that was one later on i moved to a different synagogue in yafo where i live and we also got different artists from different places and this time we had we had an art gallery of the artists in the community we live next to the old city of yafo so we have people there who have art galleries and um Uh, someone who did a spoken word piece and uh, music some people who play like oriental music and some people um who do their own things so that's like one idea another idea i'm starting to reminisce all of <laughs> all of our our things pre covid pre covid <laughs> but we have a group of also like sort of friends who are musicians and the idea was to play music in open spaces so in the street in the flea market or different places around yafo and then it became much bigger and we got to do it perform on the platform on the promenade right overlooking the sea um with people from all over the world like stopping and and listening and so i am involved in one of your collaborative projects one of many that you have done and i'd love for you to describe a little more of the other ones as well but you have one coming upcoming on hanukkah right right okay tell us a little bit about that okay so it's coming out it's coming out a few days before it's coming out december 8th 
I wrote a song last Hanukkah. For some reason, my husband and the kids weren't in the house in the evening. I, I don't remember why. I had a time like just me and the candles and I lit the candles and I played my guitar and the song just came. I had like that year for me was a challenging year. Um, I lost my father and uh, I, I lost also a pregnancy. And, and then I had my daughter who's now six months old who was starting to grow inside me. And I just um, thought about the miracles of the, the little things that are just amazing and how they grow. And, um, and then the song Alanisim came. And this year we were during the second lockdown here. And I was feeling, I was feeling locked down. Like I was feeling that I, you know, I, I gave, I just gave birth and, and, and I didn't really know who I was because everything that I was involved in just, just stopped. Um, also teaching and also um, producing and performing. And I, I decided that I'm going, this is, I, I want to start recording my music. I, I need to do something creative. So I met with Arnaud Naol, his, name, his stage name is Sun, Sun Taylor. And um, he actually lives 500 meters from my home because it was like the second lockdown. So you couldn't like leave your bubble. Um, and, I, and I sat down and I said, um, I, w I, was, I was thinking of recording different songs at all. But I said, he said, maybe like, let's hear something else. And I said, oh, I have this one that maybe, you know, and um, then I played it and he's like, yeah. I said, oh, well, maybe we'll do it for next year. We'll see. And then in, in a month, less than a month, um, um, it, the song's recorded. The video is done. And it became a very um, special collaboration with women musicians. Um, from Israel and abroad, and organizations that do a lot of good things in the world. That's so beautiful. And I love how you use your personal journey and translate that into your art form. I think everyone does, but not everyone is aware of it. And even when we do it on demand, for example, we're sitting down to write something because somebody hired you or... It's, it's work, channeling your personal journey. I see that that's what you do. And it really reflects in your music, in your music videos. Okay, so who are your bigger influences in music? I, I, I always say that um, I don't listen to music <laughs> because I have a lot of it in my head. <laughs> so I... You, You're not the first one on this podcast to say that. That's interesting. Yeah. Because like usually it's just enough that I hear one song and then there's so much going on, um, ignites so much creativity that I really, I can't listen to a lot of music. I listen to podcasts more. But I think Joan Baez also like I really connect to that kind of uh, feeling. Natalie Merchant, um, Nishama Kalibach was one of the first CDs I got from my mother's friend and I also sort of connected to that I feel I feel those are it kind of puts me in uh, also my musical realm and there's also other women that maybe not musically but I really appreciate their journey Victoria Hanna, Maureen Edal, 
She does a Persian. She writes her own kind of Persian Putin poems. Um, they're like authentic Persian poems that she writes. But she makes she makes beautiful music and she's a beautiful singer. So she teaches like these Persian music from her background, and she writes her own music and she performs around the world. Um, and I really I like when I try to think of like what kind of um, musician I want to be is one that isn't just performing on stages or like when you think of like a singer songwriter what what do they do they just like perform and 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 so on I, I I'd like to to be a kind of musician that brings something more um, with me like what that's well first of all I, lo- I love teaching like that's um, it, it gives me a lot of joy. And um, also in my shows, I always really involve the audience. Like they become, like I, I, I perform a lot alone by myself with a guitar or a piano. So uh, the audience becomes the band. And, I, and, and I, I like to share like my thoughts and like to hear other people uh, speak, speaking. I like to do workshops before COVID. I just, I had like a new workshop where I worked with mothers and newborns on writing a song for for the newborn. So it was like a process of of sort of finding our own voice and a way to create a communication with our baby. I love that. Okay, so I know we haven't at all discussed Kalisha here, but do you perform exclusively for women only audiences or do you perform for both? I perform for both. The place that I came from, like the community that I came come from, women perform in front. Like I mean, it just—it's not like women perform in front of men. It's just <laughs> I don't—I don't search men to perform in front of them. But whoever comes to the show is invited. But I—I I believe I—I I try to do it in in a place of of modesty, also because I feel like my music is is very spiritual for me, at least. So I try to keep it as clean as possible. That's just also like who I am. And also I had a time where I only performed in front of women. And I think after I got married, which is already over 10 years ago, I felt that I didn't need that so much anymore. Like also like I I came to a new kind of community uh, where their men hear women singing so i had this thought of men hear women singing but they don't hear religious jewish women singing like that's so the only the only people that they're not hearing is the voice of religious women so i i felt that that was something that should be heard powerful statement very powerful yeah and especially we just did a a panel on SNES that I'm still getting tons of feedback on just a few days ago. And it's just so fascinating to hear you say, and to anyone listening, because I'm looking at you right now and you look so tenuous. If, if, if there was like a little measurement thing, I feel like you would win the Tanua contest in terms of your personality and just how you hold yourself. <laughs> um, and then, and then how you say, that the way you perform, I'm just putting myself into somebody who's never heard of this before. And 
hearing you talk and seeing you and seeing how modest you present yourself and it's a total contradiction for anyone who's never been exposed to that. I'm not saying what you're doing is right or wrong. It's not my place to do that. And this podcast is not the place <laughs> to judge anyone. I don't know. I'm just inspired and I feel a connection to what you're saying. And I don't hear women say that with the level of confidence and modesty at the same time, because there's no prohibition on you to not sing. So it just gets so misinterpreted. Do men end up hearing you? Yes. And you're also saying they're listening to women anyway. Let them listen to something modest and inspiring and beautiful instead of, and I don't want to call anyone else terrible or immodest or sexual, but that may be the other options. I also, I feel like it's a very, very personal um, choice. Um, we were talking about the, my productions. So another thing that also um, I hope will continue once we can gather again, it's called line Nashi, which is like a female line. And it actually started in a a performance pub in the south of Tel Aviv, which actually closed due to COVID. I hope it also reopens. And Maya, the owner, she's a very cool woman and she does sound and she has this place, which um, like every starting beginning musician in Israel goes through it. Suzaman, that's the place. And it's a really, really, the, the sound is amazing. It's small, so you don't have to worry of bringing too many people for it to feel like empty. And um, so we started and she said, listen, I want to give you, I, I wanted to start it in like a, in a, in a, in a synagogue, in like a communal space. And she said, come to our place. So we, we would have evenings each once a month three women performers. And then we would have an open mic for women only and jam session. If I had like three performers who would perform only in front of women, then I would close it off for a women's only evening. And if um, it was women who also performed in front of men, then I would leave it open. But always the open mic and jam session was only for women. And a lot of women who were, you know, totally secular, and who went to all these other kind of jams and open mics in Tel Aviv. And Tel Aviv has amazing open mics and jams because there's like, there's amazing, amazing musicians here. And it's a small place and like the stakes are high. So people get like really good. And a lot of them told me I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable uh, making mistakes. I felt comfortable, you know, having my voice heard um, just because it was like a female safe space. And one of the things was for me to say, here, everybody is welcome. Like, if you perform the way you perform, um, whatever, you know, you sing, you're, you're welcome here. And, um, and a lot of the more firm women, the more religious women who perform only in front of women, really felt like it was a very special experience because a lot of places wouldn't close their place for them. And to have also amazing sound and also like a cool vibe. You can, you know, buy a beer and, and sit with your friends. And so I, I felt that it was a very special space that, of course, Maya, the owner, allowed us to bring that with us and respected what we were doing. 
Um, the reason I, I bring it up is because everybody should, the voice should not be turned down because of this, you know, because of the Kolisha, right? If a man doesn't want to listen, he doesn't have to listen. But what I felt, what I feel is happening in a lot of communities is that the women feel like they can't, they can't sing, they ha can't have, hear their voice. And I worked in a, in a religious school here in Yafo and I created an arts program. And we had the, the, the women, the girls were learning um, music, um, they were learning theater, they were learning dance. Um, the boys were a little less, um, they were more into the art, a little bit of the music, but they could perform in, like the older boys couldn't perform in um, any kind of get together. And the older girls really didn't have a place to perform. So our big shows were mixed kids from first to third grade. And from fourth to sixth grade, it was only the girls. And then we invited only mothers to these shows. And what happens was that we put a lot of, um, instead of saying, we're we want to invite everybody so we can only have the boys perform. And then these girls who are working very hard, it's also a very small school with not a lot of budget. So they didn't, they couldn't have a show only for girls or only for women. They had to choose. So we said, okay, the boys can do these stuff that are open when the parents come for the different holidays. And then the girls have their end of the year show, which is a showcase of what they've been learning. Whatever your belief is, um, that's fine. But artists should have a stage. I love that. What are your biggest challenges or what parts of the industry you don't like least? I feel I, I, I feel like my challenge is is everything that has to do with like financially pushing myself. Um, what excites me has to do more with like s social and charity work. So I think my, ch my challenge is like to remember that I am a business and that so I can continue doing this extra work. I also have to um, earn money and, and make sure that, that, that what I'm doing is um, profitable. So, uh, you know, when you have, you know, have family and kids, you have to, your time is something that you have, you have to be accountable for. So what am I putting my time and energy in? Like, is it worth it not spending time with my kids right now? Like, what, what, what am I doing? So that, that I feel is one challenge. And also, I feel like the Israeli industry is, is challenging, because it's, it's a small pool. Like Tel Aviv is amazing, but like the the popular music in Israel, it goes on a certain sort of line that I less connect to. And um, two years ago, I had a chance to be in California and San Francisco and perform a little bit in that area, and um, and it was a very very transformative experience for me because suddenly I felt like okay. I have a space. <laughs> I have a space. I just have to, I have to find exactly where it is. And it's okay that it's not the Israeli industry. That, that's fine. The, the world is big. Yeah, it's big enough. I'm assuming your husband is fully supportive of what you're doing and is encouraging. My husband has like music for him 
is like his computer science for me. He listens to a song and he does not know what to say. Like he has no idea. Like he has, he has like five music albums that he, his older brothers listened to when he was in high school. And that's the music that he listens to. <laughs> and it's sort of, that's, that's what he has. So like, I don't have like, I can't like ask him like, what do you think? Or I can talk about strategies. He's supportive of me doing what, what I love and being really good at it. That's beautiful. It's important to hear. You don't need to marry a musician uh, for, to have that support. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a very, I think um, the beginning was very challenging because I was, you know, a teacher and a mother. And then suddenly one morning I say, and you know, and I would like play my guitar and I would sing some songs, but you know, and suddenly I said, okay, I'm a musician now. And also we have to put all this money into it and, um, and all this time and an emotional, um, uh, you know, strife, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> like, you know, all the, all these emotions to deal with it. And, um, and so that was like, that was on relationship level. That was something that we had to sort of mold into. Yeah. New reality. For sure. Well, it's so beautiful. And I'm so honored you invited me to participate in your El Hanisim collaboration. So this will come out probably the same time. It's probably oh, going to come out. Yeah. And so if anyone wants to reach you, where would they go? So Kaylee Halperin, K-A-L-E-Y Halperin, H-A-L-P-E-R-I-N. Um, everywhere. <laughs> uh, YouTube, um, Facebook, Spotify, iTunes, uh, wherever you listen to your music. And I have a website. And actually, with this song um, on my website, it's going to be, um, because it's a collaboration with different organizations, you can find a page where if you want to donate or be part of um, the amazing things these different organizations are doing, then you can find all the information there. Thank you so much, Kaylee, for coming on to the Francisca Show. Thank you, Francisca. Thank you for having me. Um, it's I, I, I really adore what you do and the the journey that you're on and where it's bringing you. And um, and I really love your part on the song. I don't know if you're going to hear it so well, but I know that it's what it is. And um, I'm so happy that you're part of it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, and if you're listening on an iPhone, leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to reach out about my music, coaching, or podcast services, email me at franciscak at gmail.com. Also, check out the show notes for all the links. See you next time.